Welcome again to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast, where, as always, we have a lot to talk about. This is the last full week of October. Everything's in play. All sports are taking place. I'm talking to my good buddy, Brandon Marcus, host of Hootball Clippers podcast, about the start of the NBA season, the Lakers and Clippers running it in the West, it seems, or will there be some other teams to surprise, as well as the Zion injury news, and whether it's the Sixers, Bucks, or someone else in the West, and also a World Series preview, Astros, Nationals, that starts tonight as well. Going to break all that down with him. Then I'm going to talk to Adam Musto about Week 7 in the NFL. Patriots still undefeated, as are the Niners. Who else looks good? The Bears struggle. The Saints are winning games with their backup quarterback, and the Ravens look great behind Lamar Jackson. All that and more on today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect, which starts right now. Are now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect. It's been a far too long wait. Brandon Marcus is back on the show. Good friend of mine, Brandon. And also with the new uh, podcast as well, Hoopball Clippers. You're getting into yes. the basketball side of things now? Yes, sir. Yes. Working uh, for Hoopball, which is basically for those of you that uh, go to Roto World all the time for football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Aaron Bruski used to work for Roto World. Now has his own website, hoopball.com. That's hoop-ball.com. And so I'm doing a uh, Clippers podcast. So it's not really fantasy-based. It's just about the Clippers. So I got a chance to interview a bunch of their beat writers, both their uh, broadcasters on the TV and radio side. So it's it's been fun. Well, we're glad you're here on the show. We're going to talk NBA a little later in this. As we know, the season starts uh, tonight as you're listening to this with Lakers-Clippers being the main event game. But first things first, it's October. It's probably my favorite sports month i mean it's hard to beat when you have all the four major ones going on and it's the month of the world series we're ready to get that going with uh astros and nationals nationals were they swept their way through the nlcs to get there the astros had their work cut out for them getting by the yankees in six just i want to i just want to talk about that game six because playoff baseball is always exciting brandon even if you're like me and you don't really care for either of the teams in the series but game six astros yankees is everything you want in playoff baseball you got the highs and lows for both teams in the ninth inning to really remember yeah it was interesting because you went into that game not really having an idea of what was going to happen because it was clearly it was a bullpen game for both teams um and so for the yankees obviously they're known for their bullpen the astros not as much and we kept having to hear uh, about who's going to be warming up and all that kind of stuff and the game seven obviously cole is being saved and everyone's saying, all right, well, the Astros have Garrett Cole if this does go to Game 7. But the Astros clearly didn't want it to go to Game 7 to get to that point. Right. But the ninth inning, man, was just it, the pitch sequence from Ozuna to LeMayhew. He fought off everything and had such a good eye at the plate. Finally got a pitch he could hit and hit that two-run home run. And then all of a sudden, you go to the bottom of the ninth and you think, all right, so the Astros don't have much momentum at all. And then Altuve comes to the plate. And I think it was a slider away that yeah. Chapman to Altuve a pitch that should not be pulled and it was pulled and that's why you saw Chapman with that face of just a big smile and disbelief because that's not a pitch that should be pulled for a home run and he did yeah I, you know, I really don't like Chapman but I'm not going to rip him for that reaction we all have different reactions to just being stunned completely yeah. shocked so uh no you're right I mean that that was incredible LeMahieu has been maybe this I mean I might go as far as saying the surprise of the baseball season just how well he's done I mean, yeah. I, I think that's fair to say. 
for the Yankees. I mean, they were they were that close. Game two is the one I think that's going to haunt them. They had that game there for them. There were so many opportunities, and they could not win it. They could have been up 2-0 going back to New York. And it's going to be another year where you got to wonder about some of the big names, Brandon, that didn't step up in the playoffs. Outside of Torres and LeMahieu, you got some guys making big money in that lineup that, again, went cold when it mattered most. Yeah, I mean, Judge, Stanton, Sanchez. I mean, those three guys that are power bats and Encarnacion, too. I mean, everyone looks at the Yankees lineup, and I thought I was talking to you the other day, and we were looking one through nine in that lineup. You have Didi Gregorius batting ninth, and he was batting cleanup at one point this season. So that tells you how loaded they were. But for some reason, I don't know what it is, but once the calendar turns to October, it becomes much harder to hit. And all of a sudden, all that power that you've had all season just disappears, and it's really the contact hitters that end up having success. And Torres obviously was tremendous. Same with LeMahieu, who clearly has put all of the stuff behind him about the Rockies and how he can't hit. Yeah. It's just Colorado that he can hit there. I mean, he can't hit anywhere else. I mean, he was tremendous. He was their MVP this season. And you're right. Now you really have to wonder, because it's a couple seasons in a row, where it's come to a point where Stanton hasn't come through, Judge hasn't really come through, Sanchez was horrendous, uh-huh. and I don't know what it is. I don't know if these guys can fix something, but it may be something that continues to haunt them. Yeah, they definitely they definitely chase pitches. They don't. The Yankees, Yankees team wasn't great at manufacturing runs all season, and it came back to bite them. Uh, and they're going to have some changes to make. You know, guys like Gregorius might not be back next year. They've got to figure out where they're going to be and what they're going to be. But uh, the Astros beat them in six. Another moment for Altuve, uh, clearly. I just want to bring up one thing before we get to the World Series preview, and that we are going to say goodbye to a legend. That was the last uh, appearance for CC Sabathia. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's been 18 years, 19 years of pro baseball. And he's finally uh, going to hang him up. So I, I remember him as that Cleveland Indians pitcher coming up. Obviously not a Yankee fan at all, but I will miss having CC in the league. I think he was one of the few that, you know, for the most part of his career, I don't remember any major drama with him. And I really did like the fact that he was always a good guy around his teammates and would stand up for them. Well said. And I think I would remember him more as an Indian than I would a Yankee. Um, he was a horse. He's just built like an absolute beast and, he could handle anything you threw at him. Now in these, this day and age of pitch count and mm-hmm. only going five innings and all the analytics, I mean, this is a guy that could go out there and he'll throw 120 pitches for you and just could not complain about it at all. And he really is a class act. He is great with the media, never really a problem like you were saying. And uh, the, it just sucks that it had to be on injury that he ended up having to say goodbye and that this season was filled with so many injuries for him. He just could not shake them. But that's father time. You yeah. get to a point, obviously, where it's not going to be all roses. I mean, you're going to get to a point where you're going to break down. And this was the year he broke down. And now he'll be in some front office if he wants to, or he'll be a broadcaster. It's really up to him what he wants to do. And I should point this out, too. I agree with all that. I also think that you know he's at 251 career wins. It's a number that we're not going to see accomplished <laughs> like that much going forward. No doubt. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, in terms of the pitch count, he goes so deep into games. And, I mean, he would be a perfect pitcher for Terry Francona, who just continues to throw his guys, Clevenger, Bauer, Kluber. doesn't matter how many pitches they go. Those guys were continually going 110, 115 pitches. And he continued to get those wins. Like we said, I mean, now it's quality starts that's important, analytics, whatever. 
it's you barely even go six innings to get the quality start. Yeah. So yeah, he he's great. He's tremendous, and uh, he's a proven winner. Well said. Uh, I'm gonna miss watching him play. We're on to the World Series though. It's Nationals and Astros. Not really any history between these two teams. This is one of those unique matchups. The Astros winning the World Series two years ago, and if they win this one. It's officially a rain, two and three years. That's one for the history books. The Nationals trying to win their first World Series ever. And I think it goes without saying, Brandon, the pitching in this World Series is second to none. I'm just looking at these rotations, looking at these matchups. It's almost like a fantasy baseball (laughs) experience because you're getting the best of the best for the World Series. It's drool-worthy. I mean, it really is. When you're able to throw out the aces that these guys are going to throw. Yeah, but not if you're the Detroit Tigers, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when you have Scherzer versus Cole in game one, I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, Verlander's not even the ace of that team now. It really is Garrett Cole. And so you have Verlander going game two against Strasburg, and then obviously game three is Corbin versus Grinky. And the funniest thing now is, which you would never say before, is that Probably the game that the Nationals have the best chance in is against Zach Grinke. And who would have thought that? But he's really been the weaker link of the three pitchers on that staff so far. Yeah, I mean, and then game four, when we get there, depending on what the the series is, I mean, the Sanchez has been the hot hand. He's been pitching really well uh, for the Nationals. The Astros have seen, have, have tried to go with that bullpen game route as well. I think these starting matchups are great. They know each other in a lot of cases as well. Strasburg's been hitting his stride as well. This Nationals team, and I think it goes to the second side of this preview, Brandon, as I continue here on the Money Mitch Effect preview in the World Series. The bullpens haven't really been great all season, but both teams have done a good job getting through to this point and pushing the right buttons. I think both bullpens might even be considered a weakness. Who do you think has the edge in that comparison? I think it's Houston. I still don't trust the Nationals' bullpen at all. I mean, Daniel Hudson's been good, mm-hmm. but I just don't trust him. I mean, he's the guy the Angels cut um, before the season even started. They cut him in spring training, and I don't like Fernando Rodney. Um, I just don't like Suaro. I, I don't like some of these guys that are coming out of their bullpen, whereas Houston, I mean, you have – I think Will Harris is the one that got hurt, uh, or maybe Presley, actually, that got hurt in the last game. But you have Will Harris, you have Ozuna – you have guys that you can trust in Davinsky and Peacock. and all. I mean, who knows how, if Peacock's going to end up starting game four. But they just have more guys who have been there. And I don't think will be phased by the situation. Whereas I think Washington, their bullpen's been such a mess. I mean, Doolittle was awful for most of the season. I and mean, who can you actually trust in that pen mm-hmm. against Ben Alvarez, Altuve? I mean, is there anybody in that bullpen that you can say, yep, he's going to get him out? I don't think you can doesn't seem likely, and it's almost a situation where you feel like Scherzer is going to, in game one especially, is going to have to get deep into the game, or Strasburg. I mean, if they can steal one on the road, that, that's why these first two games are so important. And you mentioned Fernando Rodney. I keep like, How old is that dude? <laughs> Seriously, the guy's been around forever. Uh, but, no, we'll see. I mean, the Astros, on the other hand, I think they're getting more and more comfortable going to their bullpen. They want to pitch Asuna in big in, in big games, maybe even two-inning saves. But now you got a question, too. I mean, he gave up the bomb that people kind of forget because Altuve bailed him out. But is he built to go deeper and deeper into these games? I think the bullpen thing might decide this series. I think you're right. Um, I don't think Ozuna has been as good as people think. There, he really struggled down the st- uh, stretch in certain situations. And the home run ball actually was part of the issue. I mean, when he blew his saves, it was mostly due to the home run ball. 
Uh, I just don't see how Washington is going to be able to get to both Cole and Verlander and have enough success there. But it just you don't never you never know. I mean, when you have Scherzer on the other side and Strasburg on the other side, those two guys are so good that really it, you could see one nothing games or two one games. I would not be surprised if it ends up hitting the under in the at least the first two games of the series. Yeah, and I saw Astros are about minus two ten, minus two twenty favorite. That's pretty. That's pretty sizable. And, yeah, that's uh, about right though. When you when you look at the pitching matchups, I mean, in, in game one, Houston's minus two hundred, and the over under is seven. I think the over under is way too high. Yeah, for Scherzer versus Cole, when Cole's ERA in the postseason is point four, and Scherzer's is one point eight. Right. No, I mean, I, I think that makes sense. Uh, I think it's going to be a pitcher's series. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the managers for both these teams, though, Brandon, because I feel like both of them have done a good job just kind of staying out of the way. You know, it, it, it just my perspective of what I've witnessed, that I don't think that they're over-managing, over-managizing, if that's even a word, these games. I feel like the Nationals have had, more specifically, issues in the past with Johnson back there where he's made questionable decisions, he's... He's done things that haven't really worked out. I think he's just letting his big dogs eat in these in these first two rounds, and it's gotten him to the World Series. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with the Nationals is that there was probably one decision where I think they left Patrick Corbin in uh, probably in batter too too long against the Dodgers when he came in out of the bullpen. But apart from that, I mean, Davies Martinez has been good. I mean, he's been really good, and you wonder if that's going to end up being a storyline too because every single decision now is criticized and whether you're going to go righty lefty lefty mm-hmm. righty i mean the bullpen's going to be so big like we were just saying and it really is a big decision every single time you go to that bullpen or every single time you bring in that pinch hitter you're going to be criticized if it doesn't work out you really are uh and i also think like we were just talking about the yankees brandon it's going to be how many of these guys can step up i mean the astros most of these players were in a world series that they won the Nationals, this is uncharted ground, not just for the franchise, but for these players. And will Martinez be able to get the most out of his players? A guy like Rendon, for example, who's been just lighting the world on fire, is he going to step up and play well? Soto, what's what's that going to look like? Oh, and by the way, you have to go against Garrett Cole in game one, who's just been electric at home. So there's a lot of questions, and I'm not doubting that the Nationals can win this series, but there's a reason why Houston's the favorite and a prohibitive one at that. Yeah, and after the first four guys, I mean, once you get through Turner, Eaton, Rendon, and then um, with – who am I missing? Oh, wait, Soto. There you go. You Soto, said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you really run into Honey, Howie Kendrick. And so it's like, mm, do you trust anybody? An LCS MVP, but that does seem yeah. like it was a uh, – uh, I don't want to take anything away from it, but it was a great series. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, after five – or after four, rather, do you trust five through nine, whereas Houston – their biggest issue right now is with their six or seven batter in Jordan Alvarez, who's not hitting. I mean, I trust him more than the guys in the bottom of the order for the Nationals. That's why I think it will be interesting when three and four, I believe, are going to be in Washington. And you take away one of those Astros hitters. And I think that's going to be really important because instead of having five through nine be a disadvantage, it's now just five through eight. And I think that'll be really important. And not only that, but game three, you'll have Corbin going up against Grinky. And like I said, Grinky has not been as good as the other two starters. And you look at on the flip side, you know, Brandon, the Astros lineup with all those big name players. And uh, 
you know, I you you forget because we were talking about the Yankees for a while. You forget how loaded this Astros lineup is in its own right, and they just add Michael Brantley to an already loaded outfield and it's ready to go. The big thing for me is, I mean, I, I like Bregman as a, as a baller. I think he's amazing. But it's it's like you said, it's the other guys in the lineup. I mean, if Josh Reddick's hitting home runs out, if if Gurriel's hitting home runs like he did in the ALCS, I mean, then I think the Nationals are toast. I think they're going to have to get out of innings. It's going to come with Scherzer setting the tone early because this lineup is scary and could damage at any point in the game. And that's why I'm with you in that under in that first one because I think the Nationals know it's not nothing's a must win in game one, but you have to come out and set the tone early to make this a series. Yeah, I think the Nationals have to score in the first inning. As crazy as that is to say, when you have those four guys coming to the plate for the first time and then all of a sudden you're not going to see them again until probably the third or fourth inning and you allow Cole to get into a groove fine if you don't score in that first inning, you're in trouble. And so I really think that they need to strike in the first inning, and if they don't, they're going to be in for a long night. I think the, pre- the prediction that I would make would be Astros in six, but I think that there might be some legit value in Nationals game one win on the road. The Astros were vulnerable in game one, lost to the Yankees, and I think Scherzer, you know, for all the flack that he may have gotten in the past, this is a two-time Cy Young winner, and go back and watch that Tigers-Red Sox series. That was not on him, those losses. That was the bullpen choking it away each time. Yeah. I, I, I For some reason, I feel more confident that the Nationals can take game two um, against Verlander. And I just feel like because Verlander has shown that at times he's been a little bit erratic. Mm-hmm. Cole hasn't done that. I mean, Cole was not good in one of his games against the Yankees. I mean, it was actually only pitched one game against the Yankees. He was not good. Yeah. He, a bunch of hits. I think he walked five guys. He just was not there and still dominated them. I think he only gave up, like, one run. So if you're Garrett Cole and you're pitching that poorly and you still only give up one run and you get the win, where is where is it going to go wrong for you? That's the biggest question because he was not good and he still got the W. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I'm not going to pick against the Astros. It sounds like you're not either. But no. I'd like to see the Nationals make this interesting, and, and I hope I'm wrong because I'd rather them actually win the World Series. And Bryce Harper is probably an Astros fan as well, no matter what he admits. But this should be fun. I mean, this is, you know, this is high drama baseball, two teams that don't really know each other but have a lot of good pitching. It's how you're, you know, how you're usually built to win World Series is how these teams are. I know the Nationals had to play the wild card game, but – this is what it takes, great pitching and some clutch players showing out in October. Yeah, and Houston also has a couple of pinch runners on their bench that might be important in this series. Um, like Miles Straw is one of the guys that they've, uh, and Tucker, two guys that have speed that are youngsters. I'll be curious to see if they play a role at some point where uh, you look at how Hinge has to use his bench. But this series really does line up, obviously, for the Astros. They have the better offense. And I think their three starters are better than the Nationals' three starters. But it is close. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think enough credit really is given to the job that Scherzer and Strasburg have done. Um, Corbin is really hit or miss. He was really good in his last start, but was just not good at all out of the bullpen. So you wonder how good he's going to be. But nonetheless, I mean, it really might come down to a one or two run game going into the seventh or eighth. And that's when the bullpens come into play. Yeah, they just the Nationals are just hoping that the Yankees could have got it to seven to just mess up those pitching rotations. But they're perfect now for for what yep. Houston wants. Uh, so you're calling your shot in five or six? It sounds like I'm saying six, just like okay. you. I, I think they end up taking at least game three 
um, in Washington and then maybe take that bullpen game um, or the Sanchez game if he's going to start for the Nationals in game four. And I think then Houston wins the next two. But I think it really could be a series, though. Even if Houston loses the first two, yeah. I mean, Nationals lose the first two, I can see them easily coming back and winning game three and four. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping. I just want late drama, hopefully six or seven games in this series. Uh, before we switch to basketball, Brandon Marcus here on the Money Mitch Effect. I want to get your thoughts on the new Angel Skipper, or I should say the old new Angel Skipper. I'm pumped, really pumped. They needed some energy in that ball club. Obviously, there's some stuff going on with the whole opioids thing, and it's not great. And they need someone on the field that is going to be a good face and a winner. And he's already shown he can win with the Cubs. Both of those things. Yeah, exactly. He's shown he can win with the Cubs. He loves the Angels organization. He was there forever. He really grew up with the Angels, and he gets an opportunity now to be the manager of Mike Trout's team. And, and now you wonder what else they're going to do in the offseason because you, when you hire a manager like Joe Madden, you're going to win, and you are in win-now mode. So then it'll be interesting to see if they go and they shell out the money for Garrett Cole and what they do because they're not built to win right now. I mean, they, they need two or three more guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty clear at this point. Cole being the uh, – the, uh unicorn so to speak that everyone's going to be chasing angels included but it's great for the culture that the angels are trying to build it was something that was needed there's still a ton of talent there they're not perfect they're not complete yet but madden's a winner and you had you had to know the angels obviously knew that he wasn't going to be on the market that long so they made their move they got him and i think that was good for them and good for your squad so we'll just have to uh, see what happens next year in Orange County. But that's it for baseball. Now we're going to switch to the NBA, which starts tonight as you listen to this. And Brandon Marcus from Hoopball Clippers podcast, who's really in-depth and really excited for this NBA season. Um, there's some bad news going forward. There's the injuries. We know Paul George isn't going to be playing at the beginning of the season. Don't know exactly how long that is for the Clippers star. But the news that came out this week, uh, this today actually, was that Zion Williamson is going to be out he had his meniscus worked on about six to eight weeks. Troubling, man. It's troubling for this kid who's already had injuries. And, and I know some of us are pessimistic about what this means for his long-term future, a future that looks like it could be promising to the to the limits, to, to no end if he could play. But, Brandon, what do you think? Zion out already before he's played his first real NBA game. Yeah, we could be looking at a Brandon Roy situation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I, thinking Derek Rose, but he might not even play. I mean, you know. You know, Rose is not as big as him, but yeah, somewhere where you see when he's act, playing against other NBA players that he can dominate, but you got to be on the floor. He was great in the preseason. He was really, really good, and he was really fun to watch and looked like he was basically matching the hype. And then all of a sudden, this knee thing comes up again. And right when they said that he was going to be out with a knee injury um, that for that last game of the preseason, everyone thought it was going to be for rest. And then when they said, no, it's not for rest. I said, Oh, this is not going to be good. And they came out with the initial diagnosis. And I did not think that was going to be the final diagnosis. Mm. And then of course it comes out that he's going to be out for six to eight weeks because of the meniscus. And it's just, it's dangerous, man. You have a kid that's this young who's built the way he is. And there's so much weight on those knees. And he just is such a bully down low and just uses his lower legs so much it really does concern me that we went from the shoe slipping off at Duke and him ending up being hurt with that knee injury. And then one year later, it's another knee injury. And kids that young 
should not have this many knee injuries. Right. And it, it really does worry me. And I do not think this is going to be a long career for Zion. I really hope I'm wrong. But two knee injuries in the first two years, how often does it happen where a guy mm-hmm. has had these types of injuries when he's that young and turned out to have a really long career? Well, I hope you're wrong too. Uh, but I, I'll just ask you this. Do you think it's a style of play? Do you think it's a weight? I mean, should he be trying to get under a certain weight, 275 or, or so? I mean, what do you think it is? Because he is already one of the biggest, if not the biggest guys in the NBA. Do you think the weight might be an issue? Here's the bigger question. Does it matter at this point? I know. That's what I, yeah, if it's, I know. He's already had the two knee injuries. Maybe it mattered before he got the last knee injury that he could have lost some weight and maybe that would have helped. But now that he's had the two knee injuries, his knees are so brittle that you wonder whether even the smallest thing that maybe might not affect you and me would affect him. It's crazy. I, I hope that, I hope this was just a procedure that needed to be done and, and needed to be addressed and, and can be onward and upward. But yeah, there's already a history there. So we'll see. It's a sad one there for Zion and the league's next star. Hopefully, hopefully able yeah, to recover. Yeah, because they, they would have been good, man. They would have been really, really good. They got obviously those guys from the Lakers and Lonzo. I mean, I, yeah, I, they're going to be fun even with him out. And I think when he comes back, if he's healthy, I mean, they're not in that title range obviously yet, but they got some players and they got they got a structure in place there for the first time in, in a long time too. Yeah, I mean, Redick is a proven winner. I mean, you have Redick's been in the playoffs every single year of his career, I believe. So they, that's they, true. That'll and, be interesting to see if it carries over this year. And I've heard for the first time ever, Laker fans say that they now have a casual team that they kind of want to support because even the most ardent Laker fans felt like they did wrong by those guys that they grew up <laughs> that they rooted for in the beginning of their careers. So, so they're yeah, going mean, to they're gonna be a trendy team to follow. For sure, and Lakers fans would rather have Brandon Ingram, I think, than Kyle Kuzma. I mean, I don't think they really wanted to get rid of Ingram. I think some. <laughs> I think I think some of you might be right. Uh, but, you know, on that note, I think it's good to bring up, look, the season's starting, and this is uncharted waters, at least in the last decade or so, for the NBA because we really don't have a clear-cut prohibitive favorite. There's good teams out there that we think can clearly make a title run. But I'll be honest. I mean, some people think this is weird. What is this? As, as a hockey guy and obviously a football guy, I think it's great. I love the the wide openness of it. Do you share that same thoughts? I mean, obviously your Clippers are in the mix, so you're going to be excited. But in the bigger picture, do you like the fact there's so many teams that can stake claims at being maybe title worthy? 100% because the NBA was one of the sports where you could pick out four guys or four teams before the season started. And you knew that one of those four teams would win the title. You can't really do that this year. I mean, there are obviously the teams at the top, like the Lakers and the Clippers, and then on the other side, the Bucks and the 76ers that are the favorites. But then, of course, you have Houston with Harden and Westbrook, and you have the Jazz and the Nuggets that are loaded. I mean, you have a lot of different teams that can compete. And I really do think that you wouldn't be surprised if any of like seven or eight teams end up winning the title this year. Yeah, I think it's great, and I think – the best part of that is it is a legit seven or eight. It's it's because the favorites haven't really proven that they are worthy to be a prohibitive favorites. Like the Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis. All right, what's the rest of this team going to look like? You know, what kind of defense are they going to play? LeBron's been in this is his eighth, you know, sixteenth year, seventeenth year in the league. Davis had all the drama last year. What's this team going to look like? The Clippers with Kawhi and George, uh, guys that are great individual players. George with the injury, Kawhi who kind of rested a lot of last season probably looks to do the same. 
The East, I just want to go there for a second because everything that I've read, Brandon, says it's either going to be Milwaukee or the Sixers. Or is that a true two-team race to get to the final, or can a third team come out? Uh, I mean, Indiana, I think, is going to be good. People don't realize that. I mean, once Oladipo comes back and you add him to the mix Is that there, going to be soon? Like, I, honestly, I mean, I've been following well, up on it. I just don't know when we're going to see him because I think he's awesome, too. We don't know. Um, it's possibly the end of November. I, I think it'd be closer towards Christmas. Okay. Um, but nonetheless, you get him back. And then you just wonder with some of these teams. I mean, the Raptors, I don't think, are going to be obviously as good. No Kawhi there. And then who's going to stand out? I mean, is Boston going to be good with Kemba instead of Kyrie? Um, obviously, Brooklyn next year once KD gets back. But, yeah, I really do think only two or three teams can be heard of or heard from, from in the East. It's crazy that, uh, you know, the West is as wide open as it is with teams that we think could win it. But the but the East looks like it's a two-horse race. But even them, I mean, Milwaukee, love Giannis. think he could actually even be better than his MVP year. But the roster might actually be a slightly worse than last year, losing Brogdon, not really knowing who you can rely on after Bledsoe was atrocious in the playoffs. And then the Sixers, I mean, we're going to do this until, until we see it, right? Jimmy Butler was the closer last year. Can yep. Ben Simmons actually knock down a jump shot? Can Embiid be, have the fatigue to go into the fourth quarter of a game? Regardless of what the roster is, the, the Sixers are the team that I need to see it happen before I put the faith that they're going to go contend for a title. They've got a loaded starting five, though. I mean, Josh Richardson's a really good ball player. Um, so having him there at the two instead of Redick, I think, is an upgrade. And I think that Horford is awesome, too. And even though he's a little bit older, he just does everything right. So their starting five is going to be nasty. But like you said, I mean... Simmons has to step it up and and beat us to stay on the floor. If those two things don't happen, the 76ers have no chance. I uh, I'm really interested in that West race because there's teams that we haven't even you know, that could be four five four five six range that could win the West potentially depending on how well they do in the playoffs. Yeah. What do you think about the Rockets this year? Because on the surface, getting Westbrook is a talent upgrade. We don't know if Westbrook and Harden and what kind of system they're going to fit in with D'Antoni coaching. But I just think that's an upgrade over what they had last year with Chris Paul obviously hating Harden. Those two did not get along. And the fact that he was banged up injury-wise for most of their playoff runs. Well, Westbrook hasn't been healthy much the last couple of years either. I mean, it seems like he's always got something going on. But Westbrook's a way better fit for this offense than Chris Paul because Chris Paul was a jump shooter. And Houston, their analytics say three-pointer layup. And Westbrook's going to go to the hoop, and he doesn't care. He'll take threes if you want him to as well. And I think he'll be able to help space the floor a little bit better than Chris Paul was. Um, and that'll allow Harden some more room to run. I do think that they're going to be pretty damn good just because their offense is really good. But then in the playoffs, the question is, will they be able to carry that over? And I'm not sure that's going to be the case. But you still have Eric Gordon. You still have P.J. Tucker. You still have Clint Capella. You still have a pretty good team and a pretty good nucleus. And what's funny is that it's very possible that the Western Conference Finals is not going to be the one or the two seed. I think it's very possible that the Clippers or the Lakers, the um, Clippers and the Lakers, don't end up in the top two. Wow. And then, wow. That, see, that sounds exciting already that that possibility is even there because in the past it might be 1-3 and we're like, wow, what <laughs> what drama. Um, but so I'll ask you uh, about another team, the Golden State Warriors. Are they? Are, are you on this? Are you in the camp that they're going to be more likely to miss the playoffs or make a run 
in the playoffs this year? Because obviously they're not with the clay injury and losing KD and everything. Uh, they're not considered contenders, nor should they be. But I've seen so many different arguments that they're either going to be still fine to make a run and surprise people, or this could be bad, they might not make the playoffs. What side of that would you say you're on? Uh, I think I'm closer to the side that Steph might win MVP. Uh, I think it's closer <laughs> to that where he they could be the 6, 7, 8 seed, um, and he's going to be the guy, obviously. I mean, I don't think Draymond can carry a team. Uh, I know for a fact he cannot. And their starting lineup's not going to be that good. But I think that they're well coached. I think they have an offense that they can run well. They'll defend. And Steph is unbelievable. So all those combined, I think they end up close to a seven seed. But it is possible that they do much better and Steph wins MVP. But more than likely, I think they'll end up being like the seven. Seven seed, if Clay comes back, and obviously they're not going to rush it, but if he comes back and he's healthy in the playoffs, that's a, that's a dangerous seven seed. <laughs> you could have the Clippers versus the Warriors in the first round if the Clippers are the two seed. You could end up having Curry, Thompson, and Draymond against the Clippers of Kawhi and Paul George, the same team that won two games against the Warriors last year in the playoffs, could get them again. Wow. Wow. Well, I want to ask you uh, one one final question before we dig into some maybe unofficial predictions. But would you say that the road to at least getting to the finals in the West is going to go through LA? LA, yeah, probably. One way or the other, like that kind of gives you an out of like Clippers, Lakers, like they're going to be, you know, you just you'd think that both of those teams are going to be at the top and have a lot to say about yeah, the I'd title. Be, yeah, I'd be stunned if one of those te- if both those teams um, aren't there in the Western Conference playoffs at the top, and I'd be stunned if one of them is not in the Western Conference finals. It's very possible they face each other earlier on. I mean, you could even see them in three, two, three matchup in the next round. And that's never happened, right? They've never played each other in the playoffs? No, they came really close. I, I remember uh, Katino Mobley Clippers, uh, Tim Thomas's sons kind of just gutted both, the, and Steve Nash, obviously. Yeah. God, I remember that. Nuggets, and then they would have played the uh, they would have played the Lakers, but obviously the Suns got in the way. Wow. Well, um, I'm excited for this year. I think it'll be good, and I think you mentioned LA being being at the top because of both these teams. But regular season wise, I think there's a lot of questions in the 82 game slate. What we'll see. LeBron's no, not younger, obviously. The Lakers don't want to just burn him and burn Davis early in the season. The Clippers got to be careful with Kawhi and uh, Paul George when he comes back. So it'll be fun. But how do you see the finals looking? Who do you think the two teams ultimately will be? I'll stick with Clippers versus 76ers. Okay. Um, that's what I've said. I'll stick with it. Um, but that being said, I mean, if George can't get healthy, then the Clippers have no chance. I just don't think that they don't have the players that Toronto had um, last year that could be surrounded by Kawhi or surrounded around Kawhi. So I think they need Paul George in order to have success. But I'll, I'll say Clippers versus uh, – 76ers. What about you? I thought about this for a little bit today. I'm going to go Bucks Clippers. Okay. I think that's where I'm leaning at. Um, a little bit of un- uncertainty. But who knows? I mean, is it possible a team like Denver with all those players could trade for someone? I know Bradley Beal just signed, but yeah. you know, if, if if they go for it and it works out, I mean, they're a team that like I would have to revise my prediction immediately if they got the right piece. Well, I think they're going to be the one seed. I, I agree. We've talked about this. I think they're best for the regular season with that depth. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they, they don't know if Will Barton's going to start. I mean, you have Gary Harris, you have Murray, you have Jokic, you have Millsap. You have such a deep team. 
and you have a couple of good point guards off the bench as well, uh, I, I do think they'll end up being the one seed because not only do they have the talent and the depth, but they also have a big-time home court advantage. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I, I think uh, I think Giannis, to repeat, might be my MVP pick too. Interesting. Usually they don't go with the back-to-back type things. It's, it's normally some type of a storyline. Right. And I, what will be interesting is if that George can't get healthy, then uh, I don't think Kawhi's going to rest as much as people think. And he's already come out and said that that's not going to be the same thing as last year. He feels healthy. He's going to play. He'll obviously sit from time to time. But I'd be surprised if he doesn't play close to 70, 72 games this year. Yeah, I guess the storyline would be Curry's resurgence, keeping that team afloat. Uh, Davis, if the Lakers are on fire. But yep. maybe, what if it's the best player in the number one seed in the conference? That should still matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, I mean, and, if Jokic could have a great season, he could be yeah. the big guy. I mean, you have Jokic, you have Davis, you have Kawhi, you have Harden that could win it again, you have Giannis. I mean, the, I think those are probably the biggest contenders. Yeah, well, I'm going to watch... I know you're going to be watching, diving in on Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus, thanks for joining us here on the Money Mitch Effect. And uh, yeah, also want to point out, I know you might not have noticed this, but Ducks 6-3. and three. Ah, I have not even looked at the standings. I saw early on in the first three games, I think they were 2-1 and one or something, and the Kings uh, had struggled coming out of the gate. Mm-hmm. That's good to see. I, uh, I think Corey Perry's on a different team now, isn't he? He is on the Stars. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I obviously did not think the Kings or the Ducks would be good, so the Ducks could be proving me wrong here. But they've started out hot at least, so i got to give them credit for that. And Who knows? Maybe be driving down to the Honda Center in April if they keep hey, this up. <laughs> good goaltending, right? That's all that matters. <laughs> it's all that matters. Brandon Marcus, thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for having me. All right, huge thanks again to Brandon Marcus. Make sure you check out Hoop Ball Clippers podcast for all your Clippers needs because this could be their year. I mean, don't want to jinx it, but this is uh, maybe the most hype they've ever had and deservedly so. But the NBA season starts tonight, as does the World Series. Big game one. See if Scherzer or Garrett Cole has what it takes to lead their team to victory. All right, now we're going to switch sports talk NFL with Adam Musto. Week 7 is in the books. The Pats absolutely destroyed the Jets. And a lot of other news and notes around the NFL. We break all that down. It's Adam Musto now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect to talk NFL football. Seven weeks in the books. My monthly chat with Adam Musto from Chicago. Adam, thanks for rejoining the show. Yep, thanks for having me. Good to be back. We're doing this Monday night late after the Patriots just absolutely destroyed the Jets. Uh, they improved to 7-0. They are looking uh, as good as ever. Jets are still just in a 1-5 uh, free fall state. But straight off the bat about the AFC picture, Adam, I know there's some ups and downs or some teams that we're still kind of not sure of how good they are. But I'm still at a point now seven weeks in where I would be hard-pressed to find anybody that's going to be able to go through Foxborough and deal with the Patriots come January. Yeah, I mean, they're, I don't know what's in the water there. Um, and I, I wasn't expecting them to fall off by any means. Obviously, you know, every year they get older, but it just seems like they continue to get better. They just stack more players on their defense. And, 
the offense becomes more efficient. I mean, when you watch Brady, he's not throwing a ton of deep bombs. It is a lot of screen, short passes to the running backs, and you know, quick five-yard passes to Edelman and other receivers. But it's just so effective. And then, obviously, the way the defense is playing, they're pretty unstoppable. And, yeah, I mean, looking at the, the AFC, I'm sure we'll go through, but the teams that they faced, it, it's just – they're a, a step above and obviously mm-hmm. with the injury to Mahomes, um, which I'm sure we'll get into, that'll give them a lot more leg room, I'm sure, for that uh home home field advantage race down the line. Yeah, Texans, uh lost to the Colts who have played better, but you know, the Chiefs they're they're two games back in the back in the loss column, so that would essentially mean that the Patriots have an inside track for a minimum a bye, if not home field throughout, and then you know how will they play up there? This is the best defense, I think, in uh, at least in the last decade under Belichick, maybe even further back, depending on how they finish up. Brady doesn't have to be as great. There's a lot of weapons. He's so comfortable in that offense. And, yeah, I mean, they're just rolling right now. And uh, I'm absolutely terrified that they play the Browns next week. So that's where they're at, the number two de facto team. Everybody had penciled in possibly number one in the AFC before the season started was the Chiefs. And you mentioned it, Adam Mahomes out with an injury. Best case scenario for them, it looks like a three-week injury. But in the short term, this is a 5-2 and two Chiefs team that has three games starting with Aaron Rodgers coming up where Matt Moore is going to be their quarterback. So not exactly an ideal situation for Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, after Mahomes went down in the game on Thursday, obviously the defense played really well. They didn't have a ton of trouble finishing off the Broncos. But, yeah, things definitely get tougher uh, this Sunday night against the Packers and then, you know, the Vikings are up and down. They've played better since that loss to the Bears, obviously. Um, I guess it, we'll all kind of see how Matt Moore does in the Packer game. And, I'll, you know, that a lot of his confidence in going up against the Vikings will probably come from that. But it's going to be tough to beat Green Bay. And obviously it would have been tough probably anyway with Mahomes. And I think just down the stretch here, every loss or every, you know, every game is going to be big chasing the Patriots and who they end up playing in Week 14. So, but Andy Reid in the past, historically, he's had a lot, oddly enough, I was kind of looking at that, he's had a lot of situations where he's had to lean on backup quarterbacks, Jeff Garcia, Coy Detmer, a few other guys, um, mm-hmm. just rattling off some names there. So that's one of his, oddly enough, his specialties, and so it'll be kind of interesting how that plays out. It'll be interesting because of the defense uh, not really playing well up until, oddly enough, this last game. They're going to need to play better against the Packers, clearly, and then the Vikings, who have just been on a tear offensively the last couple weeks. That Titans game, the third week out, could be a winnable one with the backup. But if they can come out of it, you know, it's funny. We talked about that with the Saints, who won all the games Teddy Bridgewater started. But the Chiefs really just need to go 2-1. and one. Even 1-2, one and two, you're not dead to rights because they still, they're still have enough breathing room in there. And uh, I think if they just kind of can string together some games, be, you know, even 6-4, and four, they got a chance to really have things set up down the stretch. But Mahomes being healthy uh, is the clear thing. What it did, though, is it knocked them off that perch as that team destined to just get back to the AFC title game. Would you say right now, Adam, that the Colts are the second-best team in the AFC, or is it somebody else? I mean, I think Jacoby Brissett's performance has honestly really surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting a ton out of them when Andrew Luck ret- retired. So, you know, and they have – the advantages with wins over Kansas City and uh, at least one win over Houston for you know potential tiebreakers down the stretch. So it's kind of interesting. I feel like all these teams have these unique storylines that you're kind of looking at. But I think with the Colts, their uh, running game and the way their quarterback is playing and their offensive line um, and you know Darius Leonard at, at on defense, those are things that are going to lead them. So 
So yeah, I feel like they, they're showing enough consistency, which maybe you don't totally see all the time with Houston and you know, the Ravens are, are right up there. But uh, yeah, that would I definitely agree with that comment. Yeah, Ravens are the other one I, I we will get to in a second. But I, I think that if the, the short answer is right now. I would say that the second best well-rounded team, Brissett's played well. Mack didn't exactly have a great game, but he does a lot of things well. Uh, even when he's not playing well, he'll catch passes out of the backfield and he'll block and pass protection. They're spreading the wealth. They're just a crisp football team with Frank Wright as the coach. Uh, I was really expecting more from Houston. This would have been their statement after the Kansas City win to prove, hey, we can be the next best team behind New England, obviously, in that division. Watson's playing well. They're still not getting much out of that running game. And defensively, for how good this de- this Texan defense has been the last couple of years, it feels like, in my perspective, Adam, you're just wanting a little bit more. They're not playing terrible, but they're not stepping up like I think they need to be to be considered an elite team. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of bizarre, you know, looking at their schedule. Week one was kind of a toss-up with the Saints at 100%, but you feel like Deshaun Watson is there and he's at the top, but then, you know, they have these kind of odd losses. Um, obviously a huge win against the Chiefs, but then dropping one to the Colts and, and, you know, kind of a bizarre loss to the Panthers as well. So they're just a little bit short, and I feel like maybe that's kind of how they've been the last few, few seasons with Watson, um, where they've been winning quite a few games, but just not enough to really – distinguish themselves amongst to make that next step which is ultimately the you know be in the championship so um i think room to grow i think things are in the right direction but but definitely have to be a little more consistent yeah the injuries too i mean will fuller continually gets hurt he's going to be out again so um you know they're, they're just trying to stay healthy and keep watson healthy is the is the main goal uh, that afc south race is going to be important uh you mentioned the ravens they went to seattle beat the seahawks they're now five and two on the season, three game, or I should say, two and a half game lead in that division, uh, with the Steelers having that bye week. But they are in firm control of the AFC North and are maybe yeah poking their head as the second best team in the AFC right now. But it all looks at one position in particular. That's quarterback with Lamar Jackson. He had 14 rushes for 116 yards. He's carrying this team, Adam, and he's doing it with his legs. He's doing it at a position that doesn't usually see long term success running the ball. I've been thoroughly impressed. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I think Lamar Jackson has clearly been one of the, if not the most dynamic forces in the NFL this year. Yeah, I think um, you know a lot of people do feel like at some point um, everything's going to kind of catch up to him. You know, whether it's going to be an injury or if there is a close game where he's really going to have to consistently play well with his arm, which he's shown that he has. Obviously, you know, maybe everyone goes back to week one against the Dolphins. That's probably not a great litmus test because everyone looks, you know, amazing against Miami. But yeah, I think I saw a stat that he has more rushing yards than the entire Chicago bears offense. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like there's enough tape on him. Maybe at some point defenses will start to start to catch up or figure out ways to game plan. Um, Obviously, you know, in, in this league, coaches are really quick to figure out new trends and figure out how to stop certain things so that's kind of the only thing i can see yeah um, but at least in the short term it's very exciting to watch well he's on pace for more rushing yards than anyone including michael vick has ever had um you, you really don't you gotta give credit to the coaching staff and the personnel department because you have to have a certain type of team to succeed like this they've surrounded him with enough complimentary pieces and the defense as well but i agree i mean i think that it's going to come down to can you make throws against a team like the Patriots in a playoff game, the Chiefs or the Texans or Colts, whoever it is, in that big game, could be on the road. 
they're going to probably scheme to take the run away from you. Can you make those throws? And that's the one thing. I don't want to rain on anyone in Baltimore's parade, but that's the one thing is that accuracy, those passing numbers. He was under 50% again this week. So one thing to maybe be a little concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, well, you know, sometimes when, it, when the weather gets a little colder, especially, you know, in Baltimore and potentially in other cities, even though ironically sometimes you do kind of run, need to run the ball more, but I feel like, you just need to make a couple throws, and that is exactly kind of what happened last year in their playoff loss to the Chargers. But, yeah, also, like you said, and I was reading about that, that really give uh, Harbaugh the – just going from, you know, Flacco to Jackson, the change, like total change in, in offense based on ability and agility and all that. So, um, but, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm still waiting for. But, you know, in the short term, they're kind of – at the moment, kind of taking care of business. Money Mitch effect with Adam Musto talking week seven in the NFL. All right, I waited a little bit to kind of ease into this, Adam, but we got to talk about that Bears Saints game. Uh, it wasn't pretty for the Chicago fans like yourself. Saints win again; they've improved to six and one, five wins with Breeze out of the lineup. From the Chicago side, this was. Uh, well, I'll ask you this question: Was it about as like demoralizing of a loss as you can remember? It seemed like this one really really hit hard based on what I'm, I'm reading about coming out of Chicago. Yeah, because there was just so much hype around this team. And even, you know, starting the season three and one, which, you know, I feel like, well, you know, they played the Vikings really well, at least defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the Broncos win was kind of a miracle. It can kind of go either way. And then, then they played the Redskins who, you know, you're generally going to get a win mm-hmm. against the Redskins. So I feel like at really at that point, I didn't really know who the Bears were. You know, I feel like at three and one, all of a sudden they're in first place, and then you go to London and lose to the Raiders without your starting quarterback in a game that you could have won. And that's those are really these games that you know, if you the games that you can win, or maybe some there's going to be some games that you don't deserve to win, but you still pull them out. And I think the reality is I'm just not seeing anything from Trubisky on the offense or you know the running game that. I think when you have a defense that's as elite as they are, and especially you just kind of think, especially now with the, the salary cap and right. how the window is so small, you really just need a type of quarterback, kind of almost like that Kyle Orton type quarterback that can just, yeah. you know, as the stereotype goes, just manage the game. And if you can get 17 points, it's not necessarily that the Bears are committing a bunch of turnovers. I mean, they've had a few key ones, but it's not like they're incredibly sloppy but they're just not producing anything. And it's just three and out, three and out, short yeah. passes, incomplete passes, bad throws. And there's just nothing there that um, you know proves that they can really put up more than 13 points if they need to. Well, I think the main reason why there's so much frustration would be it's, it, it, you know, Trubisky's played bad for sure. But there is almost, would you say, an equal amount of disdain for Matt Nagy and how the offense is just structured. Because I, it, it seems like they, they, he won't run the ball. Like the, the running game is just not even non-existent. There's no commitment there. And some of the play calling is just a little extreme for, for people, like you said, like Trubisky that has his limitations. And, and if you had a game manager, if you had an offense that just simplified things, you might lose some games where you need more from the quarterback position, but you wouldn't get completely obliterated in the, you know, in the first half of these games, which is what seems to be happening in the offensive side of the ball. I think part of it is, yeah, the quarterback play needs to be better. I think everybody can see that. But offensively, this was a guy that was setting the league on fire ago and nagging his offensive skill position. How about a steady dose of the run game with these three running backs you're taking pride in? 
Yeah, I mean, it, the infamous stat from yesterday was 54 passes and seven runs, which I think I saw somewhere was potentially the lowest or one of the lowest, uh, seven rushes, the lowest in franchise history for the Bears mm-hmm. in a single game. So, and especially when you draft a guy like David Montgomery and you're so high on him and find a guy like Tariq Cohen that is this explosive player, or just maybe even get them more involved in the passing game because kind of the NFL today has kind of evolved into that where, you know, you're you might not run the ball a ton, but you can, you're going to get your running backs involved with seven to 10 catches a game. Um, but yeah, I think you can just simplify it. I mean, if you let the defense kind of do what they, they can do generally, the, the turnovers are going to come. Um, if they can get you in field position, I, I feel like they're, they kind of feel like Pinero's solid enough as a kicker to give them confidence there. Yeah. And somehow, I mean, you know, you watch, you can watch a tape on the Patriots and they're completing these simple passes. It doesn't seem that much different. Right. Um, just to you know, throw short, quick passes, you know, and obviously we're not asking Trubisky to put up Mahomes like stats, but just, so, yeah. you know, find that medium somewhere to you know run the ball and just be more efficient in the passing game. And, and maybe the reality is, I mean, he's shown really bad accuracy a lot of times and obviously that is going to be a problem. Right, uh, in the NFC is an arms race for the playoffs. You might have to get to ten and six, maybe even eleven and five, to ensure that you'll have a playoff spot the way it's going. So, uh, a lot of work cut out for you. And, and on the other side, just the book ended. I do think the Saints are the best team in the NFC. Uh, to me, right up there with the Patriots for best teams in football. The culture's there. The defense is playing great, and uh, they were able to win a game without their starting quarterback and running back. It says a lot on the road too. So. Uh, yeah, they're right up there for me. But you know who else is up there, unfortunately, Adam, for you is the Packers because they look like they're rolling. And Aaron Rodgers turned in one of his greatest performances ever yesterday. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it's vintage Rodgers, but it's uh, a Packers team that's clearly on the warpath. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I always think about this, you know, just seeing what the Patriots have done and what the pa- Packers have done. It's, it's, it's kind of unbelievable that they've never played in a Super Bowl against each other over the last uh 10 15 years or so but yeah i mean i was not buying the the hype that the the pat or whatever the opposite of hype is i guess that the packers were in a total rebuild um i feel like as long as you have aaron Rodgers, you're going to have a chance and i feel like now it kind of boils down to two games or two types of games for the packers it's it's going to be a game like the raiders where he just throws a ton of touchdowns or it's going to be a game like the week before against the lions where they're down you think you just get to that point where you think they're they're out of it they have a chance to lose and he's going to pull it off um, and then it, it counts as a win regardless. So I don't really see a ton of that changing going forward. Um, obviously a big game against the Chiefs, but without Mahomes, it kind of changes that whole dynamic, and I think it's just going to be business as usual for the Patriots. We'll see maybe in December and January once the playoffs roll, roll along, but, um, yeah, it's just incredible to watch. And games in hand over their division rivals, but the defense stepping up, Rodgers trusting everybody in his uh, arsenal, including – Whatever running backs back there, whether it's Jones or Williams, they are they are pushing all the right buttons in Green Bay. Kind of hard to believe, though. Also in that division is the uh, best passer rating in football, Kirk Cousins. <laughs> yeah, I would not have expected that a couple weeks ago. So you know, whatever happened after that Bears game, you know, he got fired up. His teammates got fired up, and they seemed to turn things around. Um, I'm still not a hundred percent on board, even though they've won their last three. Um, I you know. Kirk Cousins, I feel like he, he <laughs> we've seen what he does at, at right. you know, late, late in the season in yeah. the big games. So that's kind of what I'm waiting for. Um, you know, they play the Packers in week 16, two days before Christmas. That that might, you know, be the, uh, the NFC North Division championship game for all intents and purposes. So, um, and in that case, I would probably take Green Bay. 
but you know, if the coaching staff has turned it around and, you know, if the locker room kind of got back on track and has confidence in, in each other, then good for them. <laughs> right. It's crazy that, um, you know, he's always good when the teams, when everybody thinks that he's not good, when everyone thinks he stinks, he puts out great performances. When we start to back him publicly, that's when it, that's when it backs down, but we'll see. I mean, as long as those games aren't in prime time, right? We know what his track record is there. The lions, it's kind of sad again, two, three, and one couple calls, couple plays away from having a much better record. And it looks like that great passing attack is being let down by a defense and now a running game injury to carry on Johnson again. So, uh, the Lions, it's more of the same, uh, unfortunately, for them. That that gut punch loss to the Packers is one that you know you could either rally around or it can derail you. And then yeah. I think it's just tough to you know lose that and fall back another game to Green Bay, especially at home. And um, so yeah, it might be tough for them. Well, gut punch loss slash officiating loss because that was just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it as bad as just a little side note here on the Money Mitch effect uh, with Adam Musto? Uh, was that? Was that worse? What was handled in uh, Tennessee? That ending of that game, because that looked like a pretty bad debacle too. I know the Chargers are always keen on losing those games, but that was just an atrocious sequence for all parties involved. Yeah, um, I mean, it was just so bizarre that the way the Chargers pulled that off to not win, I guess, and and for whatever reason, you know, I feel like almost I saw for whatever reason I saw these parallels between the Bears and the Chargers. Um, like, well, I just remember the game earlier in the season, the Chargers where they threw an interception also down three against the Lions. And, um, you know, I feel like I just always have faith in Philip Rivers. And, you know, I feel like he's going to get over the hump. But for whatever reason, you know, they're just finding these you know, ways to lose football games and kind of, kind of running out of time there. Yeah, that the clear recovery rule, I just don't understand. Because how can you tell that someone recovered that fumble? <laughs> That's where yeah. it's always one of those situations. But the Chargers put themselves in there. Uh, I don't think the Titans are any good either. Um, so three and four, whatever their record is, I'm just I'm just not sold on the Tannehill Mariota duo at quarterback. And I think Vrabel's been out coached uh, plenty this year. But speaking of getting out coached, uh, I'm surprised this man still has a job as of the recording of this. But Dan Quinn's Atlanta Falcons. I can't imagine, I can't believe how bad it is. Like I thought they'd have a tough year. <laughs> this is just embarrassing for Atlanta. Yeah, I don't know where things went wrong. I mean, I, well, you could probably go back maybe to that really bad Super Bowl hangover, obviously. But yeah, I did not expect <clears throat> expect it to be the Falcons to be a one six football team at at this point. You know, they started the season one and one, had a big win against the Eagles, but you know, I, I don't know. I guess it, it does have to be coaching because. They have players in different positions that you know should be performing well, but um, yeah, what it's just not working. So it, it's it surprised me just how bad they've looked and the close losses and, and the big losses and the points they've given up on defense and just some you know inconsistent lack of production on offense. So um, yeah, it might be time for a change in Atlanta next season, at least if not earlier. You know, the Rams were going to come out having to win this game, having lost a few in a row, having to keep up with the other good teams in their division. Jalen Ramsey's on the team. They're going to get a boost. I get all that, and I get that the Falcons are struggling. But you can't lay an egg like this at home when you guys are when the coaches are playing for jobs, when the players are playing for jobs, and it's more than just offensive struggles and Dan Quid being a defensive guy and his defense not playing well at all. You know, they got guys getting ejected, you know, getting getting into skirmishes, taking dumb penalties. I mean, that's just an unorganized team. And that's like the first thing I would look at when needing to make a coaching change is just not being a unit together. And, 
You know, it, it's it, it's just not good, and it's just crazy how fast the wheel. It just shows you how fast the wheels can fall off. One minute you're winning big in the Super Bowl, and the next you're one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, they were you know in the playoffs nearly every season. It felt like when Matt Ryan started his career, um, and and yeah, now it's just now they're arguably you know fighting for uh, potentially the number one pick or at least maybe a top four pick, probably pretty easily. So the players are there, but yeah, once you lose that locker room, and I feel like once you lose confidence, and then I think it's, you know, you go into the season and wanting to make the playoffs, wanting to be in the Super Bowl, and then I think at some point you're like, this isn't going to work, and it just kind of, then it's up to the team to see, do we rally around this, do we fight, um, or do we just, you know, forget about it and, 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 you know, throw in the towel, and that's kind of what we're seeing. Well, the Rams had to have it, as I mentioned. They got to 4-3, and three, that, that race in the NFC West alone. I mean, they're still in third place. The Niners beat the Redskins in that rainy game 9 nothing, and obviously offense was severely limited. Garoppolo didn't play well at all. That defense continues to eat. We're six weeks in, Adam, and, and the Niners haven't lost. Are we starting to, or should we start to take this team serious at minimum as, as a potential division champ or maybe even something more? Well, I would think so. I feel like I was kind of slow to jump on their bandwagon. As was I. Really, <laughs> really kind of, you know, obviously the win against the Rams, I feel like definitely punched their ticket. You know, you kind of look at the other teams they've beaten, the Bengals and uh, the Buccaneers, uh, the Steelers and the Redskins. They're, I feel like they still have some tests to prove. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they, the way they did, you know, I don't know. It's going to be tough, though. They, they still play uh, Seattle twice and Green Bay. So that stuff will all kind of work its way out. Even even this upcoming week against Carolina should be kind of an interesting matchup to see how they do. But they have pieces in place. I think, you know, Bosa's playing really well. The defense is there. So, and it, it is kind of crazy. You hear this is the first time they're 6-0 since 1990, kind of the glory days of Montana and Jerry Rice and so, so. Yeah, I mean, they are a problem for teams that don't have – pretty solid great offensive lines because that front is nasty and already having the win over the Rams is huge so this is going to be tough I mean we're looking at an NFC where you know multiple divisions the West and the North are, are trying to send some teams some multiple teams to there even the Panthers who you know are going to stick with Kyle Allen are right in the hunt as well only division in the NFC not sending multiple teams to I'm going to call it right now week seven is the NFC East because I'm, I'm, they might not even be worthy of one team. How about that? <laughs> Cowboys beat the Eagles, but I don't know. I think that said to me more about the Eagles just just playing horrendous on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, a good point. I mean, obviously Dallas started off pretty hot, but um, have have cooled off. Uh, you know, three straight losses going into this week. So yeah, you know, the Giants are in a rebuild. We've seen pretty good things from from Daniel Jones and obviously the Redskins are, are a mess. So, and you know, it, it is kind of weird. If we're talking about the Falcons and, and now, you know, the Eagles just, you know, you win the Super Bowl, but they're still, you know, they're not dominating, which just kind of goes to show also just, you know, when you talk about teams like green Bay and the Patriots, how you're just able to just, you know, churn out win after win to the point where it's even, you know, a win on a Sunday is basically a non-story because it's just expected. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the East, I guess someone has to come out of there. You know, we're going to see a lot of games on Sunday night and Monday night because, uh, you know, the Cowboys are in primetime a ton. But I think that'll probably play itself out. If, yeah, I could definitely see them, you know, being playing wildcard weekend, the winner from right. that division, and, and maybe not going much farther after that. The Eagles' secondary is still horrendous, and they can't start 
football game as well. This is two straight weeks where they've just, and even back, I think, three out of the last four because the Lions game, I'll throw that in there too, where they're just digging themselves a hole right away, and then you have to just play catch-up. So uh, I think that's a problem. And, and, and I'll even go in further, Adam. I don't think there's a team that starts maybe more important to than the Cowboys. When they can start the game with the lead, just get that running game going, kind of ease Dak into it, I think they're a lot better than when they have to play catch-up and throw downfield. Yeah, I mean, you know, Elliott is one of kind of the rare last breeds currently in the NFL who is that every down back and, and is such a weapon and can really and, you know, get you 150 yards rushing every game. And that really bodes well, yeah, because, you know, I, I think we're still kind of on the fence about where Dak Prescott is as far as a long-term answer or, or you know, but yeah, obviously making things easy for him. You know that's always a lot, a lot easier than having to you know come out from a, a ten point hole or you know when you have to pass the ball and any small mistake will kind of be the end of it. Well, the Cowboys rolled. They are up in the division, getting that important division win against the Eagles, who are three and four. Cowboys leading that division at four and three. Adam Musto, Money Mitch Effect. Before we recap and uh, end this conversation today, just looking at Week Eight. There's some pretty big games on the slate. Uh, what stands out to you? What are you looking forward to most in Week Eight? Already yeah, last in October. Well, definitely, you know, obviously the the first one is you know Green Bay Chiefs, even though that one kind of took a hit with Mahomes being out. But I think in that late afternoon game, um, as we kind of go down, you know, there's some some pretty good games that will kind of determine you know who rules each each conference per se. So you know, you have the Panthers going against the 49ers, so that's a pretty interesting matchup. Um, and then the Texans and the Raiders, even you know, the Raiders yeah. are still kind of on that fence. Um, we weren't really expecting a ton, but they're kind of in the playoff picture with how the AFC is shaping up. And then, as we were talking about earlier, we just really want to see who this Texans team is. And I could see that one going either way, you know, where they mm-hmm. play really well and they blow them out, or they, you know, drop another one, which they've been prone to do. Who would, have, who would have thought those two games, especially Panthers, Niners, you know, is going to have some serious implications when the season started? But it's true. Panthers have been mm-hmm. on fire, and the Niners haven't lost yet. Late game there. Um, how about even Cardinal Saints? Cardinals are three, three and one, five hundred football team. You know, last place in the NFC West is five hundred. So, I, that's no easy game for the Saints. Um, I'm also intrigued by some teams that are in desperation mode. Eagles go to Buffalo. Buffalo is continually rolling as well, but the Eagles at three and four might have to dig into the well because they lose that game three and five. It might be too hard of a mountain to climb. So, those are the ones I'm looking at as well as, of course. You know, Browns Patriots. If we just don't get embarrassed, uh, that would be nice. Well, I'll be rooting for the Browns as, as usual. Any team that plays the Patriots, but uh, yeah, you, you know, you get these desperate teams and kind of seeing, you know, what to pull out all the stops. And you know, inevitably, I'm sure there'll be some upsets or some some close ones. So, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Back against the wall game for uh, Chargers and Bears in that one. I would I would assume the Bears got to have it at home. Yeah, definitely at home two teams that just kind of find new ways to lose or, or sometimes play like they don't they, they can't pull out the win and I feel like the Chargers they can go on a run but at two and five I think it's going to be too too tough in the way they've lost the season but yeah desperation for the Bears and, and see if their game plan changes it seems like it tends to once you kind of realize you know you, you have to run the ball more and maybe that'll help help them and the last one I just want to mention is uh, the morning game, a swan song to the 2015 QB uh, draft class, Bucks titans We could say goodbye to both of them. <laughs> yep, 
Uh, yeah, I just saw a report uh, that it looks like the the Buccaneers are done with. Well, you know, will be done with Winston, and it'll be interesting to see where you know if, if they do get second. I'm sure they will. You know, potentially as starters with other teams. Um, I think the one interesting thing that with the quarterbacks around the NFL, just so many injuries and or some inconsistent play, you always hear maybe a change of scenery. I feel like it's kind of a cliche, but. I don't know. Maybe you get these guys because there's so many systems out there by the coaches. Maybe you swap a few and, you know, pieces fall into place Mm -hmm. and maybe that'll kind of help teams get over the hump. We'll have to find out on the field on Sunday. Adam Musto, this was a blast. Thank you for coming on today's show, talking football here on the Money Mitch Effect. Sounds good. I can't believe the season just seems to fly by sometimes. It's uh, basically halfway done. So, um, But things are falling in place. I feel like we're finally figuring out who teams are kind of leading into this playoff race. We're getting there one game at a time, just trying to enjoy it, you know, because it does fly by. But, Adam, thanks again for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Big thanks to both guests, Brandon Marcus and Adam Musto. Reminder, you can find every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, where you can also leave a rating, review, or subscribe. Check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. As I mentioned, all four sports in play. We had a trade that went through this morning as well with Mohamed Sanu going from the Falcons to the Patriots for a second-round pick. That's got to be like winning the lottery, going from maybe the worst team in the league to the best. So congrats to Sanu. You struck gold this morning. Uh, In hockey last night, I just want to point out the unthinkable and, and something that doesn't always happen happens. The Blue Jackets won a game in overtime on a penalty shot. So a penalty shot winner in Toronto. That was pretty cool, but had to bring that up as well. Uh, hope everybody enjoys the sports season. World Series starts tonight. NBA season starts tonight. We got football college coming up this weekend and uh, some big, big tilts in uh, the world of sports. So everybody, make sure you enjoy sports. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect.